0: This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider, And discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episode so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. In this episode, I welcome back a personal friend, colleague, and repeat guest on the podcast, Dr. John Neustadt. He was with us before to speak about osteoporosis and sleep health. And he's back today to share with us insight from his new book, Fracture Proof Your Bones, A Comprehensive Guide to Osteoporosis. I was excited to have him come back and discuss the ins and outs of fall risk, muscle health, drug effects on bones. We go into vitamin K, therapeutic options, how to prevent fracture, nutrition for bone health, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And without further ado, welcome our next guest to the One Thing Podcast, Dr. John Mustad. Here with Dr. John Newstead. Welcome and uh, thank you for for joining us once again. Uh, thank you for having
1: me. It's great to be back and share what I've learned since since the last episode. And I, I do want to make sure that that your audience knows that you and I go back um, over 20 years now. I mean, we yeah. went to medical school together, and since 2000, when did we start? One 2001.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> so it's been a it's yeah. been a long time.
0: Yep, yeah, I still think about the days of physiology class when uh you were uh getting to the finish line with the concepts way before all of us and we would consult with you in the in the cafeteria about like what did the professor just say and you always had like a really good way of simplifying it Uh,
1: oh that's nice of you to say i always felt like i was just drinking from a fire hose and just trying to keep up as best i I could i think we were all in the in the same boat
0: well you played that off because it sure didn't seem that way it seemed like you were really getting the concepts and and um, I know it's just been great to see your career continue to grow. And um, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm proud of of the work you do and the way you do it. So thank you for for all your hard work. And, you know, I'm sure that uh it's been quite a journey for you well one so, of the things that
1: i love is educating people you know how they can take care of them themselves and part of that journey and you know, as naturopathic doctors were one of the philosophical underpinnings of our of our profession as doctor as, as teacher and part of the exercise for me with writing and writing the book and the other publications that, that i've done is for me if i can explain The research, which can get complicated simply so that anyone can understand it, then I know I finally understand it. So it's been a journey of discovery for me as well of going through the research and making sure I I really can communicate it effectively to people.
0: Mm Yeah. And one of the takeaways from the last time we spoke was sort of your prioritization of like, what are we really going for? What are the outcomes we're really looking for with bone health and what really matters when it comes down to it? And, you know, your emphasis on preventing fractures and um, you know uh, preventing falls and those types of uh, I guess benchmarks or, or outcome goals and I'm curious with your research for your new book did you have any moments where you're sort of just had like the brain explosion of like this is uh, something new and exciting and that I've that really brought together um, concepts that you. Um, previously thought about but um, became more solid with
1: I think it solidified a lot of the you know what I'd already learned in terms of let's not get distracted by the noise let's not get distracted by what in medicine we call surrogate markers a surrogate marker is a number on a test and I want to keep the patient the person at the center of the entire conversation and for me, as you mentioned with fractures, you know, that's the most not just for me in the research and with this condition, that is the most dangerous thing with osteoporosis. It's breaking a bone. So it really solidified that as I was going through the the research. And when I originally you know, wrote my first professional articles on this, I think it was two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. You know that fundamental concept has not changed. There's nothing. In the research since then that that refutes that or changes that what I did learn that was 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 absolutely shocking to me is that every three seconds someone with osteoporosis in the US breaks a bone and a woman mm-hmm. is more likely to get an osteoporosis fracture than she is to get breast uterine and ovarian cancer and not mm-hmm. only that osteoporosis causes more days spent in a hospital than diabetes heart attacks and breast cancer and that wow. really drove at home of just what what a tragic epidemic we have and how the conventional approach the narrow-minded approach of just focusing on improving bone density is doing a huge disservice to everyone and has failed people with osteoporosis because a bone density test is not the most predictive is not the most sensitive at predicting fractures.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the practice changing takeaways for me was how important it is to, to prevent falls. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, the fracture happens that happens after a fall, right. And you really honed in that concept and that importance in our, um, last discussion and patients feel very confident with that advice and also it's very empowering to know that there's some proactive measures you can take to, pre- to prevent fracture and all those and you point those out in your new book. Um, many of the different strength uh, training modalities and also just the importance of muscle health. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So you hit the nail on the head, 95% of fractures occur because somebody falls. So anything we can do to prevent somebody from falling by improving balance and strength the the we're going to prevent falls and fall related injuries and there are a couple things or three categories that I think of when I when I consider somebody's risk for falling. The first, and I always like to go through this with, with people, is what medications are they taking? There are medications that increase the risk for, for, for falling. There are also medications that that strip bone of calcium or damage bone in other ways and cause osteoporosis and increase the risk for fractures. And there are some medications that do both of those. So reviewing a patient's medications is really important. There's a whole chapter in uh, my book, which is right here by the way. Very proud of that cover. I love it. Yeah. I think the cover came out beautifully. Oh yeah, uh, that it the is very that nice. to the, called uh, a chapter, a whole chapter called medication induced osteoporosis, and over ninety percent of the elderly that's 65 years and older are actually on medications that increase their risk for falling, and not only that, a study looked at uh, for the three for the uh, several months before a patient broke a bone, what were medications were they on, and they identified which medications caused uh, falls and, fra- and osteoporosis and fractures, and they looked at after. They were in the hospital for the fracture, and they have osteoporosis. But they look after the after they were discharged, were they were taken off of those medications? And the research showed that actually there was no change, no overall change, if they were they were taken off of a medication that was known to cause osteoporosis and, and fractures. Many of them were put on a different medication that did the same thing, and the doctor was not yeah. aware of it. And so, really looking at medications is a, is a big Piece, but removing things that can be causing the problem is 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 one. And then the other, you know, big category is what can we do then to help the body function better? What has been shown to uh, increase muscle mass, what has been shown to increase balance. And within that, you mentioned exercise. And it's important with osteoporosis that people be careful with exercise because if you have osteoporosis and you don't exercise correctly, it can actually increase your risk for fractures. And so, Mm -hmm. in the exercise chapter, I I address that in, in detail. But also diet, crucially important. Even with the keto and high-protein diet craze, what I found is that most people aren't actually eating enough protein. When I have them tell me, you know, do a diet recall and we calculate Mm -hmm. how many grams of protein, they're not getting enough. And even the USRDA for protein, the recommended daily allowance for protein in adults is insufficient to prevent muscle wasting and muscle loss. Mm-hmm. And so it's, there are recommendations in the book, exactly what does the research show? How many grams of protein does somebody need based on their body weight per day to maintain and actually increase your, your muscle strength and your muscle size? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then some dietary supplements as well, like vitamin D, for example, making sure vitamin D is sufficient. Uh, The research has shown that your vitamin D level between 30 and 44 is what's optimal for reducing is associated with reduced risks of falls and fractures Mm. and so i go through in the different chapters in these discrete areas that people can evaluate and i help them create their holistic plan and also gather questions together important questions for them to ask their doctor to make sure they're getting the best recommendation they can make the best decisions for themselves
0: yeah I want to come back to diet, uh, but I want to circle back to something you pointed out about medications. Uh, And I think there's been a lot of news about certain medications and their association with bone density issues, such as uh, proton pump inhibitors. Um, You go much deeper in the book into other categories of medications that some people might not even think of. What were some of the more common, other commonly used medications that the research points out strong associative risk of uh, bone density issues? So the biggest
1: shocker for me is when I dove, when I discovered the antidepressants and Hmm. they are, they're so common, uh, especially the categories of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors uh, and the uh, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake intake inhibitors. So the SSRI and the SNRI categories of medications uh, like fluoxetine, um, Zoloft, you know, those, those medications really um, harm bone and they create osteoporosis and, and fractures. And not only that, research has shown that what we can expect now is that for every 42 women who are taking an SSRI, that one of them is going to break a bone.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, wow. and so does that have
1: and and it's and do doctors with, don't doctors don't know about this.
0: Yeah, and does that have to do with how long you use it, or is it just sort of any? duration length.
1: So there's actually an increase after the first year. Uh, but like all medications, the higher the dose and the longer you take them, the greater the risk. Uh, for with, with proton pump inhibitors, for example, uh, there's risk after the first year, but after four years, there's uh, risk increases of uh, a 60% increase in hip fracture risk mm. in, in one wow. study. So, it, the duration and dose are very uh, important. But even after the first year, there the risk is there with those uh, antidepressant medications. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know I think at least with proton pump inhibitors, a lot of people aren't given any endpoint on when to stop taking them. It's just sort of uh, just take this if it helps your reflux um, or helps your gastritis. Uh, you know, you can just keep taking it. I'm not given any of this data. So I think it's really great that you point that out. And especially with SSRIs, you know, I think most people are on these SSRIs on average for a minimum of six months. Um, and, you know, the um, and many people much longer. So thank you for uh, bringing that to light because I don't think I've ever heard that until I read your book. Um, So um, it's uh, any other categories that we should just kind of have our eye on.
1: Well, there there are ones that are commonly known, but but even when I talk to patients, it's unfortunately they haven't been told by their doctor, even though doctors do know about these, or they're not they're they're not being treated appropriately to protect their bones. So the um, glucocorticoids like prednisone, dexamethasone, we've known for a long time that long-term use of those destroys. Bone, but what a lot of doctors don't know and what patients don't know are two things. One, that the damage to bone and muscles, it also damages muscle as well, occurs, and the risk for osteoporosis increases before changes can be detected on a bone density test. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, is it used to be commonly believed that the short term, you know, the dose packs we call them of of, of, of glucocorticoids. So, you know, so maybe on a seven day or 14 day dose pack where they're we're tapering them for short, shorter term use of the medication that is now also associated with increased osteoporosis and fracture risk and it's been um, very well established that that as well creates risks so one of the challenges is there there is that there is a lack of um, sometimes recommendations or research showing if somebody is at risk because of a medication are are there other medications are there FDA approved medications that have been studied in these cases to prevent um, a, an osteoporosis induced by another medication or prevent fractures. And mm-hmm. so I go through that in the book because it's really important for people to understand that there are cases, and I've seen them, I've had them, I've consulted with with people on them, where they're on a medication and um, they were given a, bis- they were on a medication that, that damaged their bone and caused their osteoporosis, and their doctor prescribed a bisphosphonate, an oral bisphosphonate, like Fosam. Max to help with, with the bones. And now we know based on the researchers, actually that was never studied before that. It just became a standard practice without any clinical trials on combining those medications. And actually in the clinical trial that came out recently, those people who were on the medication and, and then were also given the uh, Fosamax, the bisphosphonate medication, their fracture risk went up. It was even higher. And that's because the mechanism of action by which those bisphosphonate medications work on the bone is not necessary to help the bone is not necessarily the same as the ways in which the bone is being damaged by the other drugs.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it's even given being given out now for osteopenia. know, like early, early stage bone density um, issues. Um, So going into going back to what you were mentioning about diet, um, I think that in my career, you've probably been the pioneer, at least of my learning in vitamin K2, um, especially like the uh, MK4 subtype of uh, vitamin K2. Uh, I'd love to just hear. I've always wondered where you first landed on learning about Um, the differences between MK4 and MK7 and just sort of what your current thoughts are on the matter of um, how vitamin K2 plays a role in bone density and the different subtypes.
1: So, I first learned about MK4 from um, an oncology lecture at school. At Bastyr, um, in one of our in our oncology classes, mm-hmm. uh, there was there's research on MK4 up to uh, what I discovered after that is up to phase two clinical trials that have come out of Japan, looking at people with acute myeloid leukemia, myelodysplastic syndrome, hepatocellular carcinoma, and one case study uh promyelocytic leukemia and giving them mk4 45 milligrams per day or higher these are in the the clinical trials over in japan and it's not approved as a medication in japan for for that and it's not approved by you know by the us fda to diagnose treat or prevent any any disease so i want to be clear about that Mm -hmm. but i first learned about that because in those patients and in those clinical trials it promoted healthy blood production it supported healthy platelets and it was shown to support healthy red blood cell and white blood cell production and to actually reduce the number of blast cells that uh, are there uh, when somebody has uh, myelodysplastic syndrome or acute myeloid uh, leukemia and it also promoted liver health in people with cirrhosis of the liver from hepatitis c which is a risk factor for getting liver cancer and it helped maintain and support that that liver health so that those, those patients um, did not in the clinical trial did not go on to have uh, liver cancer. Uh, in a significant number of those. So that's where I first learned of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, because of that research and because of the, the cases I was having with osteoporosis, I, I ran across it just in, in looking and doing some, some research. And because I was already a little bit familiar with that nutrient, it, I think it caught my attention. So mm-hmm. MK4 is a type of vitamin K2, it's, it's natural. It's there are different types of vitamin K2. It's a category. The most common that people hear about are MK4 and MK7 because those are what are in dietary supplements. But over ninety percent of you know what the body accumulates is the MK4 form of vitamin K2, and it accumulates in different tissues in the body, in the brain, uh, in the breasts, in the in the pancreas, uh, in the colon, in the testes. You know the list just goes on on and on. And our body actually has the enzyme, the machinery to convert dietary vitamin K1 into MK12. And so that suggests that MK4 is the predominantly physiological active form of vitamin K2 in the body and may have many health benefits beyond just uh, what I already talked about and beyond uh, bone health. Now, it's been shown in clinical trials that both MK4 and MK7 can promote healthy bone density, right? But as I already mentioned, bone density is really not the most important thing. That's not the most important indicator of bone strength. And our goal is to keep bones strong. MK4 is the only form of vitamin K2 shown in clinical trials to maintain strong bones as indicated by reduced fractures, uh, over 70% in clinical trial volunteers. MK7, there are no clinical trials showing uh, fractures or that looked at fractures as the primary endpoint of the studies. In contrast, MK4, there are um, over 28, human clinical trials five of them specifically looked at fractures as the endpoint uh, there have been two meta-analyses done on on mk4 and different types of vitamin k2 um, since 2006 and looking at all the clinical trials only the only the researchers concluded that only the mk4 form and in, in the in the amount of 45 milligrams per day is the only form shown to maintain strong bones in the dose of 45 as I mentioned 45 milligrams per per day, as indicated by reducing fractures in those clinical trial volunteers. And so that's Mm. why when I was trying to help my patients and I was starting my dietary supplement company, I looked for that nutrient in the dose combined with calcium and vitamin D, Uh, it didn't exist. So I created my company I created the products to help my patients and sort of just kept going with the research and and as things grew and here I am 20 years later with, uh, you know, articles and (laughs) And book and yeah. multiple books and yeah. um, a, 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 a company that's helping people all over the world
0: that makes sense yeah well is there a role for mk7 in our patients population
1: so I think that's still early in terms of the cardiovascular benefits of mk7 uh, or mk4 when I when people ask me you know should I take mk7 I, I ask you know, is it because are you looking for bone are you looking for cardiovascular if it's a targeted cardiovascular approach, the research is stronger supporting MK seven. So I do recommend at this point that that's what people uh, people use uh, for bone. Though uh, to get those um, those results in the clinical trials, the MK seven simply was not used, and it doesn't have the research supporting those uh, outcomes and those those benefits. That makes sense.
0: And as far as you know, kind of pivoting from the MK4 discussion, since it seems to have some immunologic properties, um, can we talk a little bit about the framework of thinking of uh, osteoporosis as a immunologic disorder? Because I know a number of um, medications are at least developed to target cytokines that are involved with bone um, metabolism. Can we think of it as that now instead of just sort of a degenerative disorder? So I think that that there's
1: it's a complex situation, right? It's a, it's a chronic diseases and all chronic diseases that I know of at least are complicated and I hesitate to say it really just boils down to immune system activation although that's important and the research has shown that uh, in chronic inflammation damages bone and that's one of the mechanisms by which you know, autoimmune diseases uh, cause osteoporosis and, and fractures. Um, Denosom or prolia, you know, those monoclonal antibody type drugs that are in that target the the immune system have been shown to reduce fractures. And, and so there are you know reasons to use those. But in my book, in the the chapter on osteoporosis medications, it's important to understand whether or not a specific medication is appropriate for a person's diagnosis and medical history. And what I mean by that is, if they have uh, the most common type of osteoporosis is postmenopausal osteoporosis, and all the FDA-approved medications are approved for that. But the question is, have they had a previous fracture? And denosumab and the other medications have not actually been shown to prevent a first fracture. They're good at preventing second or third, you know, future fractures if you've already had one. And so, why I why I why this is important. important. Important and gets back to the immunological question is that if it were just purely an immune activation situation, and they were targeting the 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 immune proteins involved with those medications, it would also, I assume, prevent a primary fracture as well. And it's not doing mm-hmm. that it really does for much higher higher risk with you know other things maybe going on physiologically also. But chronic inflammation and activation of the immune system with inflammatory cytokines IL1, IL6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, NF kappa beta, you know the list goes on and on has been shown to damage bone and change the physiology of bone to make it more brittle, uh, and less, less healthy. There are things Mm -hmm. though that I think of in terms of immune system activation that, that, are also, you know, does impact the immune system, but but I say, you know, really as a, at a secondary level. And, and what I mean by that is r- deficiencies in micronutrients like zinc, selenium, copper, which are not as uncommon as a lot of people think. Well, many of mm-hmm. our the processed foods are just stripped of those nutrients, actually creates DNA strand breakage, reduces our ability of our antioxidant system in our body to function and, and, you know, stop the, the inflammation from occurring. Uh, Mm -hmm. I talk about inflammaging, the concept of inflammation in the body and that chronic immune activation with the inflammation, how deadly that is. So I think you're right. You know, inflammation is a huge part of it. And I think that targeting that with a holistic approach can really go a long way to helping prevent fractures and and protect bones.
0: Yeah, I think this really shines um, light on the timing of thinking about your bones. Like, you know, the earlier you start thinking about prevention of osteoporosis, or if you've received your first hint that you might be having some starting signs of bone density, this is really where your work shines. And, um, you know, as far as getting ahead of things before they become really progressed. So I, I think that, you know, I think if that we, it's important I just to hear your comment on that.
1: I think I think you're right. The the earlier people can be interested and understand the importance of their bones, the better. Uh, Because bones really are not just uh, things that are inside of our body that allow us to walk around and hug our loved ones and garden and run and do all the activities that we love. But there's a chapter in the book called Miraculous Bones and in that chapter i talk about a lot of things the bones do for us that people aren't even perhaps aware of including they they are our product they produce our white blood cells for our immune system they produce our red blood cells and our, our platelets for healthy blood and blood clotting and research now is actually shown and uncovered that it's part of our endocrine system as well the health of the bones and proteins that the bones produce are uh, intimately associated with blood sugar and insulin regulation so when you're looking and focusing at this organ that's throughout your body everywhere in your body and working in ways to keep it healthy or improve the health of your bones in a holistic way, then you are going to be by default also improving health in other areas of your of your life as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love it. I, I love the thinking about the bones is, you know, part of is a it's a metabolic organ. You know, it's not just this kind of inert substance that we hang our tendons and muscles off of. It's actually alive and rich with blood supply and it produces all kinds of uh, um, signals and it's, it's a, a living organ and you know, I think when you go back to anatomy class and think about the bones, the first thing you think of is the skeleton that's in the the classroom, and it, it you know, it doesn't give you a, a clear sense of how alive this organ system is. So thanks for pointing that
1: out. Well, well, and in fact, every 10 years, our bone is totally new. So there are two primary cells in bone, the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts. And the osteoblasts are always creating new bone and the osteoclasts are, are breaking apart old bone, old worn out bone, and they're being it's being replaced by osteoblasts. And so that bone remodeling, that healthy balance that is there is is important and when we give our body and our bones what it needs they do better it used to be thought that you know once you started losing bone mass and you know it's basically a one way street of decline and de- and decay and now we know that that old model of bones is just a a static column of, of chalk, essentially, is not accurate. There are over 250, 250 different proteins in bone. And so, it's not just about the minerals in bone. It's about the microenvironment in bone. It's about the proteins in bone. It's about giving your body the environment and, and the raw materials that it needs to thrive and do as best it can. And we know that now, people actually can grow new bone. They can increase their bone density and reduce their fracture risk.
0: Very exciting. And my hope is that um, instead of people turning to Dr. Google, when they get their first Texas scan, they turn to Dr. (laughs) Newstead. So they can go on your website, they can order your book and have like really a guide. I mean, because you don't just have to jump at the first thing. Your doctor says uh, for bone density issues, you have time. This is not an acute diagnosis. It's something that you can develop a roadmap and take your time to craft out like What are the implications of your decisions? And, you know, that's the beauty of the foundational approach is that you can really set up a roadmap and then you can measure it over time to see if, you know, if it's succeeding or not.
1: That's correct. Absolutely. And I talk about that in, in the book that this is not an emergency. It's scary. Absolutely. But it's important to take your time, gather your questions and create a plan for yourself that is measurable, that you can track, that you can feel good about. That's not just looking at bone density because fracture risk depends, as I mentioned, largely on factors other than bone density. In fact, a bone density test only predicts 44% of women and only 21% of men who will actually break a bone. Right. Well,
0: this has been very, enlightening. And I would say that, you know, there's going to be more and more questions that come up from people who listen um, to this podcast and hopefully they'll turn to your book for a deeper dive into the topic. Um, is there any parting words that you can give us? And then also I'd love for you to just tell us about all that you're involved with and your website and those types of things.
1: Oh, thank you. So I think for me, the parting word is the only way that somebody can lose is if they give up. There are so many ways to improve your health health where we can really meet patients and and where they're at it's not that you have to do everything at once that can be overwhelming but if you just pick one or two or three things and start working on those The research is clear, whether it's starting to improve your diet or starting to get better sleep because poor sleep has been associated with osteoporosis and stripping the bone of of minerals. Whatever it is, what the research shows is as people start to do one thing proactively and have a little bit of success, they're more likely to build on that. And I talk in the book and walking through helping people create their action plans, it's about going from success to success. So people can not only feel that they're on the right path, but they can know that they're on the right path. And also mm-hmm. lots of questions that they can ask their doctors as well to make sure they're getting the right information and making the right decisions. So I wrote the book because uh, you know I've, I've worked with thousands and thousands of patients over the years on this issue. And a lot of the, the, the issues, the topics, the questions that I get asked a lot, they're, they're all in, in the book. I'm involved in other things as well. I'm on the Corporate Advisory Roundtable for the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. I'm currently the Vice President of our State Naturopathic Medical Association, the California Naturopathic Doctors Association, uh, and I'm the chair of the membership uh, committee. Uh, as I mentioned before, I own a dietary uh, supplement uh, company um, that a lot of doctors and practitioners are, are using for their, uh, to help their patients. Uh, and general public also coming to it and and finding the company as well. And I've got uh, about a dozen orphan drug designations from the U.S. FDA. I talked about the research before in MK4 um, in these different indications. And uh, that's some of the orphan drug designations I have from the U.S. FDA. They looked at the data and the research and said, yes, this has the potential to to help in in these cases. And so they granted this special designation um, uh, to uh, me and one of my companies for MK4. Uh, Mm -hmm. But to be clear, and I just want to make sure say it again. You know, MK four is not a medication. It's not been approved by the FDA to diagnose, treat, or prevent other diseases. It is a nutrient that promotes and supports, powerfully promotes and supports the body's health. Excellent. People can find me at uh, nbihealth.com.
0: Yeah. Great website and you have a really nice newsletter and I feel like how you communicate um you're even on tiktok you. i see you up there yep. sometimes so um. uh, I've, I've been encouraged by my my team to get
1: on tiktok i was told i had to do it i'm having a hard time being consistent with it though but uh, yeah we have the newsletter people can sign up for them. i have my own podcast the delivering health podcast um and lots of great blogs and information at nbihealth.com
0: Excellent. Well, it's good catching up with you. I, I can't wait to have another chat with you down the road sometime. Um, and thanks for all your contributions to not only our profession, but just the thousands and thousands of people that you've helped. So okay. thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It was a pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share
0: what I've learned. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it for the the episode to them, and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the one thing podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.